Hi, it's Maria here and welcome to the first episode of Talking with Painters where Australian painters talk about their life and art. I'm thrilled to have as my first guest Archibald Prize winner Francis Jarko. For those of you who might not be familiar with the Archibald, it's Australia's most famous portrait prize but it's also very well known for attracting controversy. And when Francis won it in 1994, he was no exception. So he talks about what happened that year and also what happened afterwards. We also talk about his early years, his art training in the 70s when it was really hard to find uh, an art school which taught traditional techniques, uh, what he thinks of art competitions and whether you should enter them, and how chemotherapy a few years ago affected his painting. He's won many art competitions, including the prestigious Percival Portrait Prize for his outstanding portrait of Charles Blackman. He's had many solo shows, not only in Sydney where he lives, but also in Melbourne and Brisbane. His work also appeared recently in an episode of the ABC production of Rake. I started our interview by asking him about his childhood and whether any other family members were drawn to art. Well, my, my, I have an older brother and an older sister, and they're both very talented at drawing. Um, my brother's an architect. And I think oh, my okay. father, he was very musical. Yeah. And I think the funny thing about a lot of the arts is if someone's interested in one art, often other arts are associated. Yeah. My father was a, a barber, you mm-hmm. know, he'd been cutting hair, and I grew up in the barber shop, and I used to, I used to work when I was a kid in the barber shop. And I mm-hmm. remember very early on... Um, drawing the the people sitting, having their haircuts. Oh, you know, really? I used to sit there, the, the counter was just behind the counter, yeah. and I was looking up and I remember drawing them. And also um, there was a period where you were recovering from illness. And... Yes, yeah, I had, I had hepatitis. I was in bed for three months, um, and in those days it was, um, you know, you weren't, weren't allowed to really get out of bed. You, were, uh, you weren't allowed to exert yourself and... Mm. and Basically, I had the uh, a 1959 edition of the Encyclopedia Britannica to to educate me. You know, television was I think three stations or something, mm. and there was nothing on, and I, I couldn't stand those long long yeah. hours of no cricket iPads. and football, nothing like that. And every time I had to change a station, I had to call my grandmother or mother to come, you know, all the way from the kitchen to come and change a station. Yeah. And I just remember having these books, uh, mainly the encyclopedia, and I used to go through it. And I, I loved things with patterns, like I, I knew all the card games. I used to draw up roulette wheels, you know, the blackjack tabletops. Right. I loved the insignia, like the army, the army insignias. I used to know them all. So all what the, was the next step? So after school? Well, after school, well, I did, I, I, I did art. I did very well in art. I, I topped a state in art, I think, yeah. amongst certain schools, Catholic yeah. schools. And I, I got an invitation from the National Art School out of Sydney to, to enrol. Um, and so what was the art education scene like? We, we just, Australia just followed this worldwide trend of basically getting rid of traditional art schools um, in the sense that any, any traditional teachings were just disbanded. There was a, 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 an epidemic of um, abstract art. You know, everybody yeah. had to paint abstract art. Yep. We were just following what was the trend, mainly overseas, I think, and we followed American trend. So because abstraction um, abstraction dominated the scene, I suppose from their point of view, they said, well, you know, this sort of traditional art has been dominating for the last few centuries, so, you know, get out of the way and just make room for the younger younger artists and the younger scene, you know, and mm. we paint abstracts, so we don't need a model, we don't need to learn perspective, we don't need to learn any of the mm. skills, you know. 
and um, this this just so that just fell by the wayside. Yeah, except for a few places, I I, I found it very frustrating because I, I just wanted to learn traditional art. I wanted mm. to you know that's that's what I love doing, and it was just impossible. I remember my father sort of being surprisingly proud of me and saying, what would you like to do now, son? And I said, Dad, you know, I really want to be an artist. I want to go to art school. And he said, you know, look, you know, looked at me in that Italian way. I'll, you know, I'll, you go to university, I'm going to, you know, kill you basically if you don't go. <laughs> There's an expression in Italian, you know, I'm going to smash your head through the wall so you're looking into the next room, you know. I decided to go to uni. Um, I, I just went with it. I, I wasn't very confrontational. And my brother was an architect, and I thought architecture is the closest compromise to art that I could mm. think of. And um, I enrolled and studied. I studied architecture for the next four or five years in South Wales. Mm-hmm. And um, I wasn't very. I wasn't a very good architecture student. And I didn't have my heart in it. And most of the time, I drew. And. and um, and did you keep up with other, like sort of classes, art classes? At that? Well, I started to because in those days there was a lot of art. They actually did life drawing. We learnt part of graphics communication. We learned how to draw trees and clouds, and there was a lot of visual arts in the architecture course. Mm. And uh, the irony is, I met uh, one of my my teachers in first year was Brian Dunlop, and uh, you know later on he became my my teacher, main yeah. teacher. We had a third year, a fourth, a third, the fourth year was a practical year. And there was a recession on it and I couldn't get any work. So that was my first year really full-time as an artist. And I think at that time I discovered Julian um, Ashton. I did a part-time. I only went to life drawing. I never painted at Ashton's. It was just drawing. Yep. So I ran into Brian Dunlop at that oh, time because I, I hadn't seen him for a few years. And I you know, complained about the scene. And then Brian yeah. said, well, look, come to my studio. And, and you know, and I just went there for a number of years. And what sort of things did you do? Is it what, did, he, was it called an apprentice? Were you an apprentice? Well, he didn't. Or? Brian didn't really teach formally, mm-hmm. you know. But he he was a figurative painter. He always had a model. Um, he always had artists visiting. You know, I met Salvatore Zofria. I met Brian Westwood, Jeffrey Smart, Justin O'Brien. You know, mm. I think Margaret Ollie, even Lloyd Rees through him. But anyway, we went overseas. It was the the big trip, you know. And um, yeah. we got a three a three year a three month URL. And I remember that we stopped off in halfway through. We stopped off in Vienna, and um, and the, I love the gallery, the Kunsthistorisch, it's a f- fantastic gallery. Yeah, yeah. And I used to go spend most of my time was just sketching at the gallery because I had like you know one, I was planning to stay there for about a month or something. Yeah. Said, so you're oh, copying basically the, the yeah, paintings just, that you were I, interested. in. I did in. Yeah. thousands of just sketches of, of the masters, you know, mm. over again, and you know, compositional sketches and looking at the technique and and. And just just the beauty of them, and you get to know paintings really well. Mm. And uh, this woman came up and she started talking to me, and I was, you know, felt like this is a bit annoying. And she had, she had a German accent or Austrian accent, and uh, it turned out that she was Maria Lasnik. Mm-hmm. She died recently, but if you look her up, she's very well known. She looked at my drawing and said, "You know, I'm really amazed. People don't draw like this anymore. And you know, would you like to 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 join my class?" So I enrolled. Well, wow, that must have been amazing. It was fantastic. Yeah. It was, it was, you know, there was, she had, even though she was a sort of semi-abstract sort of painter, she she believed very much in, she had a traditional training, mm-hmm. and so she believed very much in working from life. Then I started to learn um, German, and I thought, I don't know how long, I went, ended up there nearly two years. Mm. I copied 
as I said, the Vermeer manuscript copy. Oh, yes, copy tell me Vermeer. about that first, yeah. Well, Maria Larsening gave me permission. She's the one who sought, got permission for me to copy Vermeer's famous painting, The Art of Painting. And um, I would go for, I, I don't know how long it took, months. I just remember going there all the time. I used to live in the gallery. Wow. So you had yeah. a little stool or something? In a... At the end of the corridors, they had these little storerooms. Mm-hmm. And you had to have everything. It was sort of standard what they asked for, you know, the, the easel and the table. I mean, I had to bring my paints, but I wasn't allowed to get too close to it. So I had to be very careful with that. Mm-hmm. Well, that, I mean, I'm, we're sitting here at the moment looking at the painting that you did, the Vermeer. Um, it was hard to get his edges. It's mm. very hard. It's very hard to get the colours. I think if I did it now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't try so hard to be exact. I, um, I suggest now if, if, to my students if they're copying just to, to treat it like you're working from life. Okay. You know, for example, if you were to copy blue pulse, you know, it's silly to go up and copy, you know, drip by drip. But right. if you were to go through the process that Jackson Pollock would go through, you would. Yes. Go, you know, you would do what he did. You do what he's doing. Not that I get anyone to copy no. blue pulse, but <laughs> just to show you the example. It'd be very of, challenging. Yeah, don't try and imitate the painting. After Vienna, we went. We met Brian Dunlop in Venice, mm-hmm. and we stayed with him for a few months. And that gave us the opportunity to see the, you know, we visited Jeffrey Smart a couple of times. He, he mm. came over for dinner. It was pretty scary. Yeah. Brian was, was quite scared of him. But, <laughs> was he? Know, Why was yeah, that? I think, we, well, I think he was just was intimidated, intimidated by him, you know, especially when he cooked for him. And, yeah, and yeah. He was, was he older than Brian? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think he was in awe of Jeffrey Smart and mm. just to know Brian. He studied with them. And you, your parents are Italian, aren't they? Yeah. Are they? They're from southern Italy. They're from southern yeah. Italy. And I didn't go south of Rome at that time. So did you feel an affinity in that respect to Italy or not? Yeah. 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 yeah there's mm-hmm. things there that are just like being at home. It was just weird, you know. Like it's just funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you probably feel the same when you, if you go to Greece. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's sort of you, you, you are aware that you're an Australian Greek in my view. Yeah. And it's, there, it is, there is some sort of... Because in Australia, if you're, I mean, like, you know, it's, 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 the Italian thing was very much, it was the home, you know, but outside... There wasn't a lot of mixing going in between in, inside the home and outside the mm. home. You know, I felt I'm Italian in the home oh, I in see. this world. But then there's this Australian world out there. Even though it, by that time Italy, Italians were Greeks were quite popular. But still there was that separation. But then suddenly to go to Italy where they're in the street, they're talking like they did in my home. You know, or like I know. At, a, at an Italian wedding and people in the street and kids are talking that way and people my age are talking that yes. way. Yes, and it's like that's, your people are yeah, everywhere. Yeah, it's like it's so weird. <laughs> It's, uh, it's an interesting experience being first year. I, I actually found living in Italy was, was too overpowering because I love, I love the master so much. I love the great you know, classics so mm-hmm. much. I just found it would be... I was actually looking forward to coming to Australia because I thought there was something new here and open mm-hmm. that would let me just sort of develop because I think I'd be so overwhelmed by the influence of, of great art in Italy. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about that. When you, so when you came back, how did you find it when you, got, when you first came back? Oh, I went through a depression. I think most people do that first time. Mm. I think uh, we're in the middle of a drought. Sydney was in a drought. And it's coming from somewhere like Italy. Because I think the, la- the last few weeks I was in Rome. And I remember get- waking up Saturday morning in Sydney. And I went for a walk down Queen Street, Willara, because we lived near there. And I thought I was in a stage set. Everything looked like it. The buildings looked like they were made of cardboard. They were very lightweight. It was an odd feeling, and I remember compared I was, to like Rome, compared so, to Rome, yeah, and I was wondering yeah. where everybody was. Yeah. Where, where were they? <laughs> yeah. 
because no one here on the strange yeah. stage set. Um, and artistically, where were you at? I think the first show I had was with Proud's. Because Brian Dunlop, Proud's Art Gallery used to have a... Proud store used to have an art gallery. You okay. know, Proud's in the city. Center Point, yeah. Yep. Just like David Jones and Gresh Brothers, they had art galleries. Mm-hmm. That's where the Portuguese and the Blake Prize were always held in those art galleries mm-hmm. in those days. But then I decided, because I, I change a lot, I, I just experiment a lot. This happens when you're a you know, young painter, you, you change your scale, you change the subject matter, you try yeah. this, you change your colours, you change your technique. And so I painted my family a lot, I painted my, my mother and grandmother, I painted my nephews. Um, and did they like being painted? Did they yeah, mind? My, yeah, my grandmother was terrific, I'm lucky I had her and my mother, because it was just, you know, it just killed a lot of time for them, and it was just, they sat very well. My grandmother was a great subject. Well, it must be yeah, a great thing yeah. for them to sort of yeah. spend any time with you as mm. well. It's a nice yeah. way to spend time with somebody I found. It is, yeah. Um, once you get um, used to the person, I mean, talking, and I, I find that if I, if I paint somebody from life, it's you're trying to concentrate on the painting and trying to talk to them. It's quite yeah. difficult. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, your mother and grandmother, you can just say, just stop yeah. talking so much for you. <laughs> it's a bit hard to say that with friends or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, then I, I changed, basically. I experimented a lot. Um, I couldn't really get a show. And I, then I remember going down to Melbourne and no one was really interested in showing my work. And was that... Uh, did you feel despondent at all? Yeah, it was depressing, you know. Mm. I mean, it's, I feel sorry for people now. It's just awful. It's harder now. It's probably easier in those days. It's just harder now to get a show. Galleries are closing, you know. And, and um I don't know, a lot of artists are getting and doing their own exhibition. You know, there's pop-up yeah. galleries, so there's, there's ways around it. Yeah. But I just got so sick of it. I just thought, I'm going to do my own painting, and I just want to do a big figurative painting. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's that painting. Yeah, so... You know, I just so, did what I wanted to do. Yeah, well... But I was entering... I did start to enter competitions, because around that time... I've just better explain what that painting is oh, right, <laughs> for the listener. Okay. The, that painting is the, is the um, um, winning, winning portrait from 1994... Archibald Prize, uh, homage to John Reichardt, mm. and it's on the wall here in um, Francis's living area. I might just describe. Or do you want to describe it? It's just it's just a large figurative painting. It's, it has five people, and um, it's 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 got a sort of tapestry backdrop. It's sort of, and it's got um, a lot of music. Well, that's yeah. There's like five musical instruments. Yeah, there's isn't there, a number really? of musical instruments. Yeah. There's there's still lines. There's um, a uh, whole you know, range of ages of people, my grandmother. Um. So when you decided to, to paint this painting, uh, was it with a view to entering it into the Archibald? Not necessarily, no. no. I what? think it was just a reaction from not being, being able to exhibit anywhere and just um, wanting to do my own thing. Mm. I just wanted to do a big painting with a group of people. It's very big. It's like, it's what, two metres by two metres yeah, about? Yeah. You know? Look, the, the, the height is always determined by what can, by, it's got to be small enough to fit outside the door, yeah. through the door, <laughs> <laughs> the diagonal of the door, because that that's what always determines the height of these things. Yes, right. I never thought of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, unless you're going to do it in panels that you put together or you roll it up, you've got to get it out the door. Yes, yes. You know, Monet was clever. He had that slit in the wall. You know, that's, oh, did he go some that? artists do that. They just have like a slit. They open and close. It, so they slide the big paintings through, but then oh. you've got to get it into the gallery or wherever it is. But yeah, yeah, you know. Well, what happened was my um, it's, the painting is called Homage to John Reichardt. Now, John Reichardt suicided just as I finished the painting. 
That's why I called it, it a homage. Shocking. Yeah, must that's why I called it a homage to John Reichardt. It was just dedicated to him. Mm. And was he was a he was, he was a, a professional cellist. He yeah. played for the um, he was in the Newcastle Orchestra, mm-hmm. and we used to play chamber music together. Mm. Um, Can we talk about the day that you won? So what what happened on that day? How did you find out? Well, they told me. I think they they rang they rang me up on the. Is it the few days before? It's announced on a Friday lunchtime. Mm-hmm. I think they rang me the Tuesday before, mm-hmm. just to tell me that I'd been chosen. They didn't say anything about winning, right? And it was funny because oh. a friend of mine, Peter Griffin, bet me a hundred dollars that I would win, <laughs> <laughs> which I had to pay him. <laughs> an That's just a little side story, but um, it was funny because I was teaching at Ashton's on Friday. Yeah. And I got a call on Friday morning to see if I was coming to the art gallery. And I thought, this is really weird. Mm. And I said, yeah, I'm coming. And I went with a group of students. I took about 20 students in. I sneaked oh, them in. I said, they're all, they're all in my painting. And one of my students <laughs> knew Edmund Capon. And she said, Capon wanted to know who you were. Oh. I said, oh, that's weird. And it was a big crowd of people. And the judge, I've forgotten his name, I think it was Hershon. He was about to announce the winner and I just looked over there and I saw Edmund Capon and his assistant Claire Martin and they were looking at me I thought oh god this is you know what's going on here (laughs) gee that must have been a surreal uh, feeling it was weird it was weird but it's just interesting how you can pick that up out of a crowd and like you're there you know what are you you going to do run away yeah and then (laughs) suddenly (laughs) when I was announced I just remember the the students all screaming and because then you're thrust in front of the camera for the next three, four hours. You just ask the same question. So was, you weren't prepared. You weren't prepared no for idea. that. No idea. So did it, it what was huge... that feeling like? What was that feeling like to have all that attention? Look, it's exhilarating. It's exhilarating and frightening. I yeah. had severe pains after a couple of hours. I remember someone gave me some, some sort of medication. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think the nerves in your stomach just become really... Uh... Suddenly you suddenly got thousands of cameras on you, clicking you, clicking. And they're asking you question after question, you know, and... And then, but then the the follow through. There was a lot of lot of criticism, um, and I had a response to that, which was good. Mm. I think I got. I, they don't really um, give that much um, media response to to Archibalds these days, except when there's controversy. So, what was the main criticism? I mean, what was? I mean, oh, what was it? Well, <laughs> um, not technically a portrait. <laughs> I mean, this this is you know this is the competition where bananas in pajamas can get chosen as being a portrait. You could do an abstract and call it a portrait, but because you know I had five portraits in one. Yeah, yeah. I portrait. met all the trustees except for Tim Storia, and they all told me that it was a unanimous decision. And mm, mm. um, straight away I'm not they thought they thought it was a fantastic painting. That's what mm. they told me, and mm. um, there was no other. There was no runner-up. Bill Leake had a portrait of Malcolm Turnbull, so I had, I had to get poured or practised. Ability to be nice to me. <laughs> I was terrified because <laughs> we had a we had a forum at the Intercontinental, and I was up on a stage yeah. with with Bill Leake and Maloof and Thompson, Edmund Capon. Oh my god! And asking questions. One of the criticism was that um, I said, "Look, I, I feel a bit like Rembrandt when he painted the Night Watch because Rembrandt was criticised for not giving everyone equal prominence in his portrait, the Night Watch." And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then in this book on the Archibald, let's face it. It said, I, I, I compared myself to Rembrandt. Oh, oh for goodness sake. <laughs> that's how they take these things in yeah, quotes that you say and distort yeah, them. You know, yeah, it's that's awful. right. It is, 
It is but one I, of the I problems. did get a lot of support. John Olsen was was, was a support. Mm, I mean, even mm. Edmund Kaplan was saying he was being very supportive. Mm, mm. Um, and I'm sure most people who would have seen it in real life would have... Oh, uh, the crowds were huge yeah, yeah, yeah. in Howard. You know, I remember going, I couldn't see the painting, the crowds were just... Yeah, yeah, just yeah. Really well, it's huge. a great painting. There's no doubt about it. Um, yeah, oh, that's interesting. It's always interesting getting an insight into yeah, Margaret the behind Ollie, the scenes. Margaret Ollie came up to me and said, thank God a good painting is on the Archibald. <laughs> well, I could imagine, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she would appreciate yeah. good draftsmanship. So I got to know her, you know, really well. That was really nice. Oh, yeah, so what uh, was she like? Well, she's always very supportive, the arts and everything. You know, she's a little bit eccentric. I did find it a little bit hard having a conversation with her mm-hmm. in those days. But, um, you know, it was sort of like she just liked to say her thing. And, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Sort of argued with you, she just, could be a bit gruff. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so I presume after that you were... But you oh, weren't well, an unknown anymore, that's no, for sure. No, then galleries were ringing me up and asking for shows. Suddenly, you know, nobody wanted to show me and suddenly... I, if you, if winning the Archibald gives you a boost. Yeah. You know, I always say it's like it's like being good-looking or having lots of money or something. It gives you that push, you know, as you take you a certain distance. It's yeah, not yeah, going to yeah. last forever. And um, did you uh, do much commissioned work I did. A, I did a few, yeah. And how do you find that? I think you've got to be very careful with commissioned portraits. I think they can dominate um, the lives of some artists too much. I don't think artists do their best work. Um, why, why do you think that is? I think it's just hard to do a lot of commissions and do good quality work. You end up painting a lot of men in suits. Yeah, right. And it's just sort of a bit dull after a while. I what do you think about competitions? Entr- well, for, mixed. For I have students mixed. I have mixed, do. yeah. If you've got the painting, do it. It's, you know, it's... When you start working specifically for, I think too many. I mean, too many people are too dominated by the Archibald or the Doug Moran. I don't You've know been judged for quite a few, haven't you? Or... Yeah, I've judged a number of competitions. Yeah, what's that like? Well, I find well, it's 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 very subjective. It's very personal. Mm. Um, I find that if I walk around, I can I can generally pick the ones that I like straight away or that I think are good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the hard part is when you narrow it down to maybe three, four, and you think they're all equally good, and then you've got to pick one. Mm. Um, but I find, you... well, I find that, I mean, I, I, abstract painting leaves me cold. Yeah. You know, I don't love it, I don't hate it. Mm. But bad realist painting, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> so you get to this strange position where you, you prefer this abstract painting that leaves you cold, which... To this bad realist, yeah, painting. right. You know, it's very. You get these funny sort of odd sort of contradictions. Yeah. Well, I suppose from that point of view, from the flip side of that, for a student who's entering a prize, it's important for them to know who the judges are, isn't it? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. They have I to. do too. Yeah, I won't enter a prize when I know there's certain judges. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So it's got to be somebody who's got your sensibilities yeah. in a way. Yeah. But there's always a randomness. I mean, it's, if you've got the painting, put it in. It's yeah, not going to cost yeah. you that much, no. that much. And, and these days, you it's send a form a of advertising. It's because yeah. you, you need to. You know, it's hard to show. It's hard to sell works. Mm. It's hard to exhibit. That's just a way of getting known of you know mm. someone knowing you. Um, and actually, what, just one other thing I want to talk about was the musical instruments. I mean, music obviously plays a big part in your life and in your in your work. As you know, I play the piano and I just love music. Yeah. Um, it's 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 something that comes right through most of my most of my paintings in fact the very early ones you'll see I, this is the piano I painted all the time you know mm. I used to paint um, 
I mean, that's the whole thing. I fell in love with music at, at some, you know, when I was, I had an eye accident when I was a child. When mm-hmm. I was 13, a, a ballpoint pen pierced my eye and I nearly mm, went blind. Yeah. And um, I, I was, I had to go to Randwick Hospital and I was in bed for one week with both eyes covered and all I had, mm. I was 13 and, you know, and again in those days, like the, when I had hepatitis, all I had was a trans, transistor to keep me company. Uh, and the funny thing was, I was in a ward with three or four other transistor is a radio, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah. a little radio. <laughs> oh my god! Yes, in case there's a somebody radio. under thirty. A cheap radio, yes. <laughs> Battery operated. <laughs> but I remember actually falling in love with the other voices. It's funny because suddenly, you know, because I, I was virtually blind. You know, I had both oh, eyes covered gosh. for one week. What an experience! And I remember there was two or three other men in the ward, and I just I sort of had this feeling of falling in love with their voices. It was really mm. strange. But um, that's when I really fell in love with music. And um, I suppose your sense of hearing was heightened during that period. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And I, it was mainly pop music at the time, and I loved the Beatles and Stones, and I was into the pop. And then mm. gradually, I fell in love with um, with classical music. I suppose the other nice thing about musical instruments is that they're beautiful shapes. They're beautiful to paint. Yeah. They're beautiful. You've yeah. got, you know, cello is well, such I a beautiful shape. Well, I've painted cellos, but what's, what I, I love painting is the double bass. I find it's, it's, um, it's a really beautiful shape. Yeah, yeah. Um, I find I make up a lot of painting these days. So it's very, it's a bit um, zen-like, but the more you paint from life, the more you tend to make up. In what sense? Well, you mean the actual objects well, in the painting? Well, I think more of the paint. Or? Well, not, not that. I think more like the way I painted you know, like a lot of that, like that, I mean, you can't see the painting, but mm. I'll, I'll think of it more abstractly. Well, that's, that, one of my favourite paintings from last year's exhibition was that, is it Sun Siesta? It's called, oh, yes, yeah. yes. It's, it's all, it was all based on that sunset light that would come in in winter now, you know, mm. especially in this sort of area and upstairs. So you've got mm. a very strong light. It's a sharp diagonal. It's very golden. Yes. And... Um, this is tied in with other things about glazing and I, I was worried my painting was getting too, the colours were getting too hot because of glazing so I was purposely cooling the colours but I've gone back to warmer colours now, sort of mm. embracing the colours. Mm. Mm. <laughs> um, this is also tied in with my sickness as well. And um, mm. so I've, 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 you know, little specks of colour has made me think of colour. It's almost like I'm painting dust or something like that. As the sun comes in it picks up on the dust particles and and lights yes. them up, you know. It's Which, yeah. images in the back of my mind that I, I remember. And um, that's what I feel like I'm, I'm you know, and I, I'm thinking more of, I think more abstractly in the sense of just pa- of making the, the painting come to life in its own, you know, with its own mm. sort of meaning. Mm. I wanted to also talk about your teaching, you know, life and um, at Julian Ashton, that's where we met. Yeah. Um, and I know that you're a real, you know, that your students love you, and and they and that you have a. I mean, some of them. <laughs> they all love you, and and I think part of it is that you you're not intimidating. First of all, second of all, you create a community. I find in anyway. Mm. Let's. What what do you? How did well, you? I when did you start at Julian Ashton uh, teaching there? I started there. It was about twenty. Let me think. The count of the kids. The kids are twenty two. So I've probably been there about twenty four years. Well, I, I I find the longer I teach, the less the less I actually teach, because <laughs> I find teaching is some not so much about giving lots of information. Right. You know, you can just get any art book, or you can go on the internet, and there's enough information to last you more than your lifetime Mm -hmm. it's more about just getting through one or two things you know if you can do that if you're teaching anatomy 
if you could teach someone one, you know, one major bone, one major muscle, and mm. that's like the beginning, it's like a foundation mm. that, that they then uh, can build up on. But also, you see, being a painter is very lonely. It's, you're mm. a dedicated artist. It's, it's very, very lonely. Yes. I so think teaching is really fantastic to get out, yeah. to give back. I can back, see that. You know, and, to, and I made so many contacts, like you, you know, and, mm. and so many students have bought my works, you know, over the years. Mm. It's just it's amazing. Mm. Um, it's a, well, it's, you do need to be part of a community. Yeah. And, that prov- and, and the yeah. school provides but that. But also, it's, I think... When I was, you can be a little bit snobbish about your art and your teaching, but I think being being an amateur pianist <laughs> has made me. I mean, I think you know if I can learn music, it's great that I can just play the piano at, at an amateur level and enjoy it. Yeah, it's really rewarding. Yeah, and why can't someone paint at an amateur level and be That's you right. know find it equally rewarding? That's right. You know? So it takes away that sort of snobbery of oh they're not serious, you know. And well, and so, also just. Um, you Makes you a better, your... If you're a better student, you become a better teacher, I think. You become patient. Mm. No, that's yeah. exactly right. And you were talking previously about uh, your illness. Well, um, I think, when, I think um, just before I was, di- I was diagnosed with a lymphoma about five years ago and now. But before I was actually diagnosed with it, um, I noticed my paintings. When I look back, my paintings were getting lighter and lighter. Isn't that <laughs> It's really weird. And I, I just thought it was the board that was porous and the and the dark tones were, were drying much lighter so you noticed it well i yeah. when i look back you know and there's still mm. got a few of them mm. and i actually mm. had a show in brisbane with philip bacon a lot of people liked it because they thought that was an, a light sort of ethereal tone mm. and i thought well you know i'll go along with this but <laughs> <laughs> i just don't know they were just very light they were fading away it was literally like i was fading away oh, it's weird and mm. and um you know, this is after I had, I had the chemo and I was sort of okay and cured, and I think it's gone, hopefully. I've noticed that I've, I've just sort of um, embraced the tones and colours a bit more. It's just made everything richer. Um, and w- during the chemo, were you able to paint? No. No, so you no, took I, a break. Yeah. No. Oh, I was... I had, like, I had um, six chemos every three... I had a chemo every every three weeks. Mm-hmm. Six times, you know what I mean. Mm. Six chemo's, but uh, by the third week I was feeling relatively okay. But then it's hard. It's hard with painting just to to paint for a week and then stop for two weeks. Yeah. I, I need a um, sort of time, a set of time, you know, period mm. um, where I can mm. paint. Oh, well, you're looking really well now. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, yeah. um, thanks so much All for right. speaking to me today, and I'm so looking forward to seeing your show next right. year. Uh, it's a str- through know. Australian Galleries. It'll probably be in uh, Melbourne. In Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. possibly a show in, in Brisbane, possibly. Okay. And I'll post your website, etc. Okay. Um, so thanks. All right. Thank you. So thanks for listening. And don't forget to go to talkingwithpainters.com for a link to Francis's website, as well as links to many of the artists, prizes, and paintings we mentioned. Looking forward to you joining me next time on the Talking With Painters podcast. Bye for now.